0: Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template, no judgment. Enjoy the taste of deer meat? I know I do, but never forget, there are things out there both natural and unnatural that crave the taste of human flesh. And if you travel too far from home, you might end up as something's meal. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters, I'm your host, Darkness Prevails. Today's episode features some allegedly true and scary hunting stories. Plus, I've got some supernatural encounters to share with you. Enjoy, and remember to send me your scary stories at darkstories.org so I can narrate them. Follow me on Twitter at darkprevails and feel free to tweet at me with suggestions for future episodes. Now, let's begin. mysterious cult in the woods from brian m this story comes from my friend jay so it will be told from her perspective i'm an active hunter with my father who was a drill sergeant for the u.s army and with my uncle who has been hunting game for roughly 20 years of his life i'm fairly new to the hunting scene with only seven months of experience but nonetheless, I find it absolutely fun and appealing. This is the only experience in which I was actually scared, for not only my life, but the lives of my father and uncle. This is how it began. It was a cold but fairly good Friday afternoon. I just got home from school, and my uncle decided to stop by, planning a hunting trip to a new area we've never been to before. I forget the actual name of the place, but it was somewhere around Michigan. I was really happy since it would be the first time I've traveled there, and we were going to spend the whole weekend there as well. We got packed up and drove roughly about five hours, stopping by some gas stations on the way for some snacks and obviously some gas. I was starting to get car sick though, because I practically stuffed my face with some almond Hershey bars, my favorite. The whole ride there, my dad kept telling me to keep my eyes open, not to strive far from him or my uncle since it would be a new area for all of us. We had multiple weapons in the car, including some pistols and a couple of bolt-action rifles alongside a machete I brought from home. We finally arrived in Michigan, an area completely surrounded by woods, but we decided to stop and stay at a local motel for the remainder of the day since it was already 10pm and dark. Let me just say that motel gave off a really creepy vibe. We checked in and we were shown to our rooms. We settled down and prepared for the day ahead. It was an early Saturday morning and we were having breakfast. That's when the weirdness started to happen. We were eating at a local diner and everyone kept staring at us. Not to mention the whole place was silent and the only sound filling the air was our spoons and forks hitting our plates. Then, from out of nowhere, a friendly old man came to us and introduced himself. Despite him being friendly, he probably gave out the creepiest vibe out of the whole entire place. He then proceeded to say, Aye, strangers, what brings you into these parts, you folks from around here? The whole time he was staring at me, and he smelled awful, like a mixture of cheap cigarettes and urine. My dad caught his gaze and replied, Hey there, no, we aren't from here. We traveled over here to do a little bit of hunting. We got tired of seeing the same old things, so we decided to go somewhere new. The old man seemed a bit cautious at first, but then let out a huge smile. His teeth were 50 shades of black. Also, I noticed that everyone stopped looking at us, but the air still felt heavy for some reason. Ah, okay, we enjoy seeing new faces around. Let me give you a piece of advice, though. If you start traveling too far into the woods and start seeing weird markings on the trees, I'd suggest you turn back. They don't take too kindly to new faces. The old man said ominously. They? My uncle asked, almost choking on some water. The wood folk. Some sort of cult in the woods. Rumor is that they like to dress up as these creatures with the heads of skeletal remains like deer and wolves, only to take wandering strangers and sacrifice them to the wood spirits or something like that. That last part sounded as if the old man was just messing with us. I gave my father a weird look and he only managed to give half a smirk back. We told the old man we'd keep an eye out. After that weird experience, we decided to hurry up, and we went on our way. As soon as we got into the truck, we couldn't help ourselves. We started laughing. Taking everything the old man said, we practically threw it behind us. After all, he'd been joking, right? I kept telling myself that. If only I had taken it seriously. The remainder of the drive only took about 15 minutes from the motel, And during the ride, the only thing on my mind is how I found how gorgeous the scenery was. I felt as if I was in a different world. The forest gave off something only being there in person would cause. The closest thing I could compare it to was paradise. I was utterly mesmerized, totally forgetting what the old man had told us earlier. The first step I took while getting out of the car felt as if I had stepped through the gates of heaven. A peaceful, silent breeze made its way towards me. The fresh air hit my nose, and I took a deep breath. When I exhaled, the release made me feel as if I had no negativity left in me. The forest itself sounded alive. I could hear the birds chirping, the squirrels making their way to their homes in the trees, and the sounds of branches moving slightly as the breeze hit them. All of this added up, making the place feel magical. Wow, my father said towards my uncle. This is totally different than what we see back home. I could see the smile on my uncle's face as if he had made the right decision to take us here. Finally, we grabbed our stuff and began to make our way to the site where we'd be camping. Unfortunately, it felt as if my rucksack weighed about 100 pounds while my dad and uncle were walking with ease with their own rucksacks. For the 30 minutes of walking, I was only welcomed with friendly insults from my father and uncle. Eventually, we made it to the spot. We put our things down and established our tents and fire. It was afternoon by then, and the forest was still alive. I could have said that the walk with my rucksack was actually worth it. We started to hype ourselves up, making bets on who would bag the biggest catch. I made it my sole purpose to win that bet. After putting on camouflage and face paint, we began to head into the area in which we would be hunting. Another half hour or so, we found what appeared to be some tracks, but these tracks were weird because we didn't expect to find barefoot human tracks out here. Maybe we aren't the only ones out here, but the footprint does look fairly old, my uncle said. I'd forgotten about what the old man had said, and it seemed my uncle and father did too, since no one mentioned it we decided to go further into the forest, leaving markings on the trees to know our way back to our campsite. We walked for roughly 45 minutes, and my uncle was just about to mark the tree next to us when he saw that another marking was already there. We examined it, and it looked like nothing we've seen. Best way I can describe it is a circle with a cross in it, with four different symbols in the spaces between the cross and the circle. That's when I remembered that old man had told us about markings, I couldn't help but get kind of anxious then. But I didn't need to bring it up because my father did. We all kind of looked at each other. My uncle saying that he had done some research on the area and found nothing about any cult in the woods. Not a single thing. We all kind of chuckled, but we realized something. The woods had gone quiet. Like, too quiet. We knew that couldn't be good. We decided to go back to our camp since the sun was already setting by then. Not ten minutes go by when we hear movement to our right. There was a half-broken tree in the middle of a small clearing. It looked as if the grass there had died. The only area that seemed out of place, really. Then from behind the tree, I could have sworn I saw a figure. But it moved so fast, I couldn't tell. A moment after I saw it, it had moved behind another tree. Then we all heard it. A scream not a scream for help or in danger, but a scream that sounded territorial, as if it was getting ready to attack us. We booked it. We ran, just slightly able to see the markings we had left on the trees to show us our way back to our campsite. And for the life of me, I could have sworn I heard what sounded like multiple people running not too far from us. So I turned around, and I saw something that still gives me goosebumps. There, roughly 15 feet behind us, were three figures, all roughly six feet tall, wearing some sort of animal skin. I only knew that because I could see their bare legs, and they seemed to be wearing skeletal remains on their heads. I could also slightly make out that one of them had some sort of weapon, and to make matters worse, they were all screaming, or rather, hollering, I could say. As I ran, my father and uncle stopped right alongside each other, turning around firing warning shots into the air. That seemed to stop the figures. They just stood there, panting and staring right at us. I could make out a human face behind those skulls. We ran and ran until we got back to our campsite. We only took our weapons and booked it out from there. When we finally got back to the car, I must have blacked out. Because when I woke up, I remember being on a highway, and my father and uncle had worried expressions on their faces when they noticed me. I could clearly see tears running down my uncle's face. My dad then stopped at a gas station. He gave me a hug, and after that, we made it home. My uncle blames himself, since the trip there was his idea. My father and I don't blame him, though. We're all just happy that we're safe. We've actually stopped hunting for a while. I didn't have any nightmares or anything like that. After a few weeks, we moved on from the experience, I'm sorry nothing cliché happened after the incident, but at times I still remember what that old man said. But that seems to be about it. We've told no one for the sake of my uncle. We didn't want people to blame him for something we all decided to do. But one thing I do know for sure. If you're out hunting in the woods in Michigan, and you see those markings on the trees, leave immediately. Farm life near the Appalachian Trail From Anonymous I grew up on a farm pretty much in the middle of nowhere, in lovely West Virginia. The log cabin I grew up in was very old. The land had so much history that photographers, historians, and others would sometimes find us and visit. We had about 245 acres of land in the Appalachian Mountains. My parents had only one rule out there, that I was not to go to the deepest part of the forest, so I didn't. Not even my older brothers would venture out that way when they hunted. Certain times of the year, my family would move our cattle to the field right behind our cabin. I always thought this to be strange, because for the most part, they stayed in the valley that our home overlooked. As I got older and more involved with the farm, I would notice how my dad would start getting nervous towards that time of year. He would start making preparations to move them closer to the house, As he feared something in those woods when i was around 10 i heard these strange sounds coming from outside my window these windows were so thin we had to put plastic and a big thick blanket over them to keep the cold out in winter i heard the cows going wild in the field then there were these screeching screaming and growling sounds i instantly thought coyotes were after our cattle so I ran upstairs, waking up my father. He told me to go back to bed, though, and he warned me not to look out the window and to not go outside. I thought this was very strange. On our land, we hunt coyotes. We hadn't seen any coyotes or bears in some time, but why? Why would my father just let these hounds attack our cattle? I couldn't sleep that night. I just thought of our poor cows and how scared they sounded. Even my pup was nervous. She stayed up all night with me. In the morning, when the sun was up, my father and four of my brothers went out to the field with their shotguns. I followed along with them, and what we saw was terrifying to say the least. Something had brutally killed and dragged two of our cows into the woods. There was quite literally a blood trail leading to where they died into the forest. My father was very concerned. He was whispering to my brothers on what to do. He told them to make sure our home was secure, in fear of whatever this was, that it might get inside the house. I never understood how any animal could have done the carnage that I saw, or how it might try to get into our home. Every year around the same time, some of our cattle would be killed by something. But I never dared to look out my window at night, in fear of seeing what it was. Sometimes I swear I could hear something almost whispering in the fields to each other, or maybe even to me, as I sat by my window listening to them. Once, I swear I heard them say my name. We moved away from the farm when I was in my late teens, and from what I hear, no one has ever bought the land, or lived on it, since. The great state of Oregon is home to hundreds of miles of lush wilderness. There are many fun activities that can be done in such a vast place. One of my favorites is mushroom picking. I have family who live in northern Oregon, where mushroom picking is a very popular pastime. A couple of times a year, I'll take a trip up to my uncle's property to hunt for edible mushrooms. We've encountered some crazy stuff as one would imagine, but this story is definitely the scariest encounter. My uncle's property is mostly dense forest. His house is just off a two-lane road and up a small hill. The main home is just up the hill surrounded by large oak, madrona, and aspen trees. The forest goes on for miles behind his home. Just to the left of the driveway is an 11-mile walking trail that circles his portion of land. This is where we travel to go hunting for mushrooms. We've had run-ins with mountain lions, skunks, abnormally aggressive bucks, and even a black bear. Sure, those were all terrifying, but nothing compared to what happened on a visit back in 2017. I arrived at my uncle's home late Friday afternoon. I'd planned on staying the entire weekend. I'd promised a few friends back home some delicious wild mushrooms, and I didn't plan on disappointing I walked into my uncle's home and was instantly hit with the delicious smell of beef stroganoff. We greeted each other and I put my bag into the spare bedroom. Once dinner was done, we sat at his table and discussed the areas we'd be exploring the following day. After dinner, we hunkered down for the evening. I fell asleep shortly after. I awoke some time later, I'd guess early morning. I heard a car alarm blaring from the open bedroom window. The window was on the right side of the home, so you couldn't see the driveway from there, only the dense woods surrounding the home. I peeked out the window to see flashing red and yellow lights illuminating the trees. I quickly gained my composure and realized what was going on. I rushed out of the bedroom, passing my uncle's room on the way. He was still snoring loudly, unaware of the chaos that was occurring. I then peeked out of the kitchen window that looked out over the driveway. I noticed that my Ford Fusion was the vehicle responsible for the loud alarm. All four of my doors were wide open, and my headlights were flashing. I grabbed my keys from the kitchen counter and pressed the alarm button. The noise and flashing lights stopped. I started to make my way outside when I stopped at the window just by the front door. I couldn't see anything out of it but my own reflection due to the hallway lights being on behind me. I made my way down the hall flipped the light switch, and tiptoed back to the window. Looking back, obviously if anyone were outside, they would have noticed the lights turning off. So my tiptoeing was futile at hiding my location. Anyway, I made my way back to the window. I sat there for a few moments, letting my eyes adjust to the darkness. My face was pressed against the cool glass with my hands cupping the sides of my face when I saw it. In the dull blue moonlight... I could make out two silhouettes standing just behind my car. The man on the left stood about six foot two and had a muscular build. He had the unmistakable outline of an axe resting on his shoulder with his left hand on the handle. The other man was a few inches shorter and had a husky build. He held something in his right hand down by his side, but I couldn't make out what he had. I was crippled with fear. I didn't want to move lest they see me but I felt as if they were staring at me already. I finally gathered up the courage to back away from the window. I rushed to my uncle's room. I shook him awake, and I quietly explained the situation. My uncle grabbed his phone and dialed 911. I grabbed the baseball bat from the hallway closet and stood by the front door. My uncle joined me soon after, sporting an old hockey stick. My uncle is a hippie, so unfortunately he didn't own any firearms. He explained that since he didn't live so far from the nearest town that the county sheriff's office and the state police were en route, but it would take around 20 to 30 minutes. I knew if these men tried to enter the house, there would be little in the way of an advantage for us. We decided to sit against the wall near the front door and await whatever might happen next. We didn't dare look outside the window. I just pictured the axe-wielding man putting his blade through my head the second I put my face against the glass so we just sat there waiting. Suddenly, we heard a few loud bangs followed by crashing brush and branches. After that, we finally saw the flashing red and blue LED lights illuminating the driveway. It was the longest 20-something minutes of my life. We went out to greet the state troopers and to give them our story. I noticed that my brake lights and rear passenger side window had been smashed. All my belongings inside my car were thrown all over my seats and outside on the ground. The trooper said that the impact areas on the window were consistent with a hammer. That explained what the chubby guy had been holding by his side. They took some pictures, gave us a report receipt, and told us they'd keep a deputy outside our driveway until the next morning. And that next morning, I drove home, after convincing my uncle to finally invest in a firearm. Nothing ever came of the police report, and my uncle and I have yet to see the two men again. I shiver at the thought now, but if that moon hadn't been shining so brightly, I would have walked out to my car, and I would have been completely unaware of the two men that stood just behind it with evil intentions. It Almost Got Me From Jacob R. It was a relatively chilly January afternoon on my grandfather's property in 2018. My father and I always go to Mississippi to go hunting on my grandfather's land. He owns about 150 acres of land that has been passed down through the family for generations. It was a year like any other when we arrived at my grandfather's house, and every year prior to this one we had amazing success with our hunts. But this year seemed to be a little bit lackluster, with us only killing two bucks and a doe. We were nearing the end of our trip, and as the last night fell upon us, I hopped on my four-wheeler and headed to my box stand, proudly carrying my 308 rifle with me. My father followed right behind me in his Razor UTV, seeing as the stands he and I were headed to were only about half a mile apart from each other. As he neared his stand, we wished each other good luck, and parted ways. I arrived at my box stand around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I got settled in a good position with clear visibility from all sides. I turned on my butane heater so I wouldn't freeze my tail off. To pass the time, I decided to play some pool with my dad on my phone while waiting for something to show itself. Half an hour turned into an hour, and then another. I was starting to get bored, and I decided to take a short nap. I woke up sometime later as I heard something moving around in the brush. Keep in mind, I'm a very light sleeper, so any little noise can wake me up. I perked up, trying to listen for any more movement, or what direction it was coming from, but I heard absolutely nothing. The woods that were so vibrant before, with wildlife and sounds of the wind, brushing through the trees and small shrubbery, had come to a complete stop. I'd never had this happen to me before out here, so it startled me quite a bit, but being a dumb teenager, I brushed it off, then dozed back to sleep. What a mistake that was. I was awakened once more 45 minutes later to the sound of something being chewed on coming from my right side. I got excited, thinking that a buck or doe had wandered out of the thicket, but to my surprise, I didn't see anything around me. Getting frustrated, I shifted in my seat and accidentally bumped my rifle, It slid off the railing and fell on the floor of the box I was in. The chewing sound then came to a sudden stop. I heard something run off deep in the woods, which further angered me. Another 15 minutes went by, and at this point the sun was beginning to set, which meant shooting light was coming to a close. I started to hear footsteps coming from my left, but these weren't the footsteps of deer. They were from something walking on two legs, I looked in the direction of the sound, but once again, I didn't see a thing. Then I heard something that sent chills down my spine. Jacob, Jacob, I hope you have good luck. Only for a moment, it sounded like my dad's voice, but after repeating the phrase, I realized this wasn't my father. Whatever it was sounded recorded and distorted. It almost seemed like a forced imitation of my dad's voice. My heart raced to the point where I was ready to say screw it and leave. But just as I'd gotten ready to get up, something broke the wood line and came out of the opposite path that I came from to my box stand. It was this pale and lanky creature with grayish skin and almost no hair on its body. Upon its head, there appeared to be a decaying skull of a buck, with black pits for eyes and a mouth full of razor-sharp teeth. It was hunched over with arms so long, they were dragging their long, sharp claw like hands on the ground. Even at its current posture, it towered well over me at seven feet tall. It was horrifying to look at, but I couldn't look away out of fear. I heard it repeat that same phrase for a third time. Then it stood up straight, with antlers darn near touching one of the highest branches of the tree next to it. I covered my mouth so as to not make a sound. I could hear it sniffing the air. It let out a deep and guttural growl, saying, You can't run, Jacob. This was a voice that I did not at all recognize. At this point, my flight-or-fight instinct kicked in. I grabbed my rifle and flew down the ladder, trying to get to my four-wheeler as fast as I could. I hopped on, trying to start it, but all it did was crank over. Meanwhile, this creature began to come at me. I tried to fire a shot at it, but to no avail. When my rifle fell, it must have gotten jammed, and in a sheer moment of luck, the darn four-wheeler came to life. So I peeled out of there, and the creature gave chase, coming up close on my rear, I had my four-wheeler topping out at its max speed and this thing was still keeping pace with me at one point it even struck the back of the atv breaking the tail light off flying down that dirt trail i passed my dad's path to his ground blind hoping and praying that he isn't in sight of this thing i finally broke out onto the main gravel road and so did that creature continuing to chase me for a mile and a half before finally falling back and letting out an ear piercing scream behind me. I see my grandfather's house in the distance, and I let out a sigh of relief. As I flew down the driveway, I saw my dad's UTV parked outside. I slammed on the brake, coming to a sliding halt with dust flying from behind me. I ran inside, and to my surprise, my dad wasn't in the house. My grandfather told me that he had run to the store to get some things to cook dinner for tonight. I sighed in relief again, and went into my room to change and calm down. A few hours went by. During that time, I got packed up, ready for the 17-hour drive back to Virginia. Then I went to sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night by the sound of tapping on my window. Now, mind you, I'm on the second floor of the house, and from the outside, I hear that same phrase from earlier in the same exact voice. Jacob, Jacob, I hope you have good luck. I couldn't bring myself to fall asleep after that, and I didn't sleep until we left the state of Mississippi altogether. If you plan to go hunting in Mississippi, be careful. There are terrifying things that roam those woods, and I think what I encountered that awful night was a skinwalker. warning the following story contains depictions of violence against animals creature of northern idaho from lucky 12. my grandparents used to own 10 acres of land in the panhandle of idaho most of the property was wooded however some of the trees on the property were cut down and turned into four-wheeler trails when we'd visit my sister and i would spend at least one of the days up there riding four-wheelers During one of these trips, I had an encounter with something. The day started out normally, with my family waking up and having breakfast. As usual, my sister and I asked our grandparents if we could go ride the four-wheelers. After getting permission to do so, we went outside to the shed behind their house, and we started up the four-wheelers. After a few hours of riding on the trails, I saw my sister parked next to the shed. I drove up next to her, She said she was going to get a drink and asked me if I wanted one. I told her no thanks and continued driving. After a few turns, I heard a loud growl over the engine of the four-wheeler. I came to a complete stop, thinking something was wrong with the engine. But then I heard the growl again, only this time it was louder, more guttural. At this point, I noticed the forest had gone completely silent. The usual bird sounds and insect noises were gone. I began frantically searching for what made that growl. That's when I saw it. In a large bush just off the trail, I saw two large yellow eyes looking back at me. Those eyes were probably eight or nine feet off the ground, and protruding from the top of the bush were antlers. Once I saw this thing, I felt a feeling of dread wash over me. I could tell that if this creature wanted to kill me, it could. My fight-or-flight instinct kicked in, and subconsciously my brain apparently decided on flight. I turned the four-wheeler back on and sped out of those woods. A few months later in the fall of that year, we were visiting my grandparents again. Seven turkeys had moved on to their property, and about halfway through our trip, we noticed that one of the turkeys had gone missing. We tried not to think too much of it, Later on, I went for a ride on a four-wheeler. When I was passing the spot I'd heard that growl earlier that year, I noticed a smell of rot and decay. I ventured slightly into the woods and I found a mutilated turkey. I realized what must have killed this turkey and quickly went back to the four-wheeler and I drove back. On the same trip, we were leaving my grandparents' house to go to the nearby city. When we were pulling out of their driveway, A large dark figure ran across the road leaving their property. My grandparents insisted that it was a coyote, but coyotes do not run on two legs like the thing we saw crossing the road. A few years after that, my grandparents moved out of that house. They said it was to be closer to family, but they didn't move that much closer, and they seemed anxious to move when we helped them move out. I think they saw that creature too, which I now believe may be a Windigo. I think that's what scared them away. The Weeping Thing From SR I would have been around 10 at the time this happened, and that was decades ago. My eldest uncle John and his wife Anna had just acquired some property and built their first home together. It was a big enough place Three bedrooms including a master, two baths, open living room and dining spaces, and a kitchen. As was the style in the Caribbean back then, the house was built on concrete posts. So underneath the house, there was enough room to park the cars, as well as a storeroom for tools. You could even hang a hammock from two posts and enjoy the cool evening breeze. You needed to climb about 18 stairs to get to the second level, and there was also a door near the kitchen with another flight of stairs which provided an exit toward the back of the house. To the east, there was nothing but open, undeveloped land with the nearest house some 500 yards away. However, to the west, lived the closest neighbor in a small flat apartment that was just about 10 feet from the chain-linked fence that surrounded my uncle's house. The house was built on newly developed land, which was formerly covered by sugarcane and part of an old plantation estate. My uncle and his wife had just had their first baby, and because it was just the two of them, now three of them, in a new neighborhood, his younger brother Steve stayed with them. It was a decision he would come to regret. When my uncle's kid cousin, Nadia, was still a toddler, she would stay with my grandparents, which is where I lived as well. My grand's home was very much still the family home, and all the kids would have spent time growing up under their watch they would babysit Nadia from Monday to Friday, because John and Steve as well as Anna all worked long hours, and so they'd pick Nadia up on the weekends. Anyway, from what I've been able to piece together, it all started one evening when Steve got back from work. He got in just as darkness was falling, by which time Anna had already returned from work. From what I've learned from eavesdropping on the conversations that took place subsequently, Steve walked over to Anna, who was making dinner in the kitchen, and asked her how come they brought the baby home early that week. She snickered at the question, and said that they hadn't brought the baby home yet. Steve thought she was pulling his leg, but when he realized that Anna was being serious, that's when he got a bit confused. In fact, he even left the room and went to search through the other rooms, and by now Anna was becoming a bit anxious. Steve told Anna that as he was walking up the front stairs, he could clearly hear a baby crying, and it was coming from inside the house. It was Anna's turn then to feel her leg was being pulled, but she too saw Steve was dead serious. He insisted that he had heard a baby crying very clearly, but there was no baby, of course. Over the next few weeks, the sound of a baby crying would continue to haunt my younger uncle in fact he would jump awake at night to the sound of a child crying just outside his bedroom door after checking the first couple of times and finding nothing he never bothered to check again sometimes he said he would get the strong smell of baby powder and at other times a horrible smell like poo or vomit one day he even woke up finding a red circular mark on his leg as if a child with tiny teeth had bitten on his calf, he joked years later. He admitted that it burned for days, despite using a bunch of medicine on it. My older uncle John and Anna were both getting very worried about Steve, and in fact, they began discussing it with other family members. One day they came over to my grandparents' house, and the fact that I had to leave the room told me that they were about to talk about something serious but not even I was prepared for the conversation that I listened in on. As a kid, I instantly believed every word of it. I still remember the hair standing on my body, and the cold, chill that ran down my spine listening to them talk about this extraordinary situation in such a serious manner. In fact, in all the years after, I never visited or stayed over at that house without expecting to see or hear something weird. Thankfully, I never did. About three weeks after it started, something happened that changed the whole conversation about whether Steve was losing it. The neighbor's wife, Tara, called out to Anna from behind the fence, asking her an all-too-familiar question, whether they had brought the baby home yet or not. It got the same confused response as when Steve had asked it weeks before. When Anna inquired of the neighbor why she would ask that question, the neighbor answered, One morning, she was hanging out the laundry when she heard a baby giggling from my uncle's place. She said when she glanced over, it was just in time to see a baby crawling into the veranda. So she assumed Nadia was home. Of course, Nadia was not home. It would not be the last sighting either. People walking along the road would see a toddler playing in the yard or hear wailing late at night. All of this during the week when my cousin was not there. Ironically, neither John nor Anna ever heard or saw anything. Although when they did bring Nadia home on weekends, she would cry incessantly, which was quite unlike how she would be when at my grand's place, and she would always have a fever or would fall ill, but almost magically, she would get better when she left the house. Eventually, my family, who were very spiritual, had a pastor come over and bless the home. As far as I know, This took place frequently over the course of a few weeks. Eventually, I stopped hearing about the story at all, and I assumed that whatever they did had worked. But while none of the adults ever really talked about what happened after that period, Steve insisted what took place was real, even up to the day he died. In fact, when I was a bit older, he finally opened up to me about it, about how he felt something was following him around during those few weeks something that wanted to come across as innocent, like a baby, but something he felt had much more sinister intentions. He wondered what would have happened if the family had not believed him and did not have the church intervene. To tell you the truth, I often wonder that as well. I KNEW IT WASN'T HUMAN From Techno Freak 76 I want to just say up front that I used to be the biggest skeptic of anything paranormal. I could scientifically explain just about anything someone heard or saw. My husband would tell me of a few ghost experiences he'd had, and I always made it out like it was all in his head. I learned later on that you never really believe, not until it happens to you. It was October. And it was my husband's turn to be on call for the city water department, fixing water leaks in the road and all that. He left about 8pm to go fix a rather big leak that had water gushing out of the middle of the road. I might be really late, we're gonna have to repair the road too, he said as he gave me a hug and kissed goodbye. Alright, me and the kids will just watch a movie or something, I replied. I have 3 kids of my own and a stepson, who's the same age as my youngest daughter. We decided to get some popcorn and blankets and watch some creepy series on TV. I still liked watching paranormal shows, even though I didn't believe in it. Hours went by and it was midnight, yet my husband still wasn't home. I wasn't really worried because it wasn't the first time he had been out all night. Soon it was 3am. And the series we were watching was on its second to last episode i looked around the room and all the kids were passed out so i decided to put them to bed my stepson's bedroom was on the main floor level and everyone else's was downstairs my daughter was the last to tuck in as i closed the door to my daughter's room i decided to go upstairs and turn off the tv and lights and lock the doors on the way to the stairs i had to pass the laundry room It was the only room downstairs that had not been finished, so it was still bare cement walls and 2x4s, with insulation and string hanging in a few places from the ceiling. It was always kind of creepy to me, and I never really liked being down there. It's also where we stored boxes of random stuff and things we didn't need. I also never liked the door to our bedroom being open at night. Not even a crack, because it was across the hall from the laundry room. I always felt like something was watching me in the darkness from there. As I get to the stairs, I literally got to the second step before an intense and powerful feeling washed over me, like I get hit by a mile-high waterfall for ten seconds. I recognized it as anger, pure, intense, and directed at me. I froze, and I wasn't sure what I would see if I turned around. I wasn't sure I wanted to find out, either. I'm not someone that scares easily. So, I decided to turn around and look anyway. Now, what happened next probably happened within the time frame of 15 minutes maximum, and it's really hard to describe. I turned to look at whatever might be there, and I saw nothing. No orbs, no disembodied voice saying "Get out." Nothing. However, all of a sudden, my brain was flooded with a ton of information. Like someone had plugged it straight into a computer and hit download. I was getting so much information on this thing all at once, I could barely keep up. Then when I could finally process it, I understood. It wasn't human. I knew it wasn't human. In fact, it had never been human. And I knew that it hated me with all its being. If you were to take all the world's hate and put it in a concentrated form right in front of me, that's what it felt like. It hated the fact that I was there. It hated that I was in its presence. It hated the fact that I was even alive. I knew where it was, too. I slowly pointed under a tall kitchen table we were using for a folding table. There was nothing visibly there, yet somehow I knew it was there. I saw a feeling image in my mind's eye that it was crouched down under the table. I know where you are. I said in my mind, I'd read before that if it was a demon, it knew what you were thinking if you addressed it. Suddenly, as if it knew there was no point in hiding, I got a bit more information. I knew it was a lesser demon. That didn't make it any less scary, mind you, but I felt that I could handle it if I did it in the right way. I also knew that if what I was about to say didn't have any conviction behind it, the demon would simply laugh at me and think I was weak. I should also note that no one has died in this house, and my husband was the second owner, so I knew it had no right or reason to even be here. With all the courage I could muster, I commanded, leave this house and property. You're not welcome here. At first, there was nothing as if it was trying to see if I was bluffing. No one has died here, and we're the owners of this house. You are not welcome, I said again a bit unsure if it heard me. Then I felt it get angry again, the same intense anger I felt at the beginning. Now I was beginning to feel like I just stirred up the hornet's nest. With a push of courage, I said in the most forceful, commanding tone I could muster, In Jesus Christ's name, you will leave and never come back. It paused in its rage, as though it wasn't sure I was serious. Now, I said louder than before. Then, suddenly, I felt a burst of rage, like the dread of an oncoming tsunami. Then it left, screaming the whole way. Even though I never heard anything, I felt everything. I almost soiled myself. I felt drained. I collapsed on the stair, sitting with my face in my hands, and I bawled. After a while, when I had calmed down, My husband came home. I ran and told him about what happened. He understood and asked if I was okay. I replied, yeah, but I feel exhausted. We went to bed after that. I look back on that night, thinking about the flood of information I got all of a sudden, and I have a theory. I think everybody has these invisible feelers or tripwires, I guess. And some people go their whole lives with those tripwires never hitting anything. But once my tripwires got hit, it was like a switch turned on. Now I'm sensitive to places and people and things. I feel things, and I see with those feelings. I guess it's kind of like what a blind person would do to get an image of things by touching objects. Later I found out that they call people like that empaths or sentinels but even though that experience has awakened something in me, I'll forever have what I felt that night in my head as if it had just happened yesterday, and I hope I never come across anything like it again. At the Foot of My Bed From Hunter L Over the course of my, as of now, 23-year-long life, I've lived in three houses. I lived in the second house from about age 3 to age 15, and even back then, I wouldn't hesitate to tell you, it was haunted. From hearing my name called and finding neither parent calling for me, to things being mysteriously misplaced, to the occasional clip-clopping of hooves from a horse and buggy that was never on the only nearby road. But by far the encounter that stands out the most to me came from one night in particular, and I doubt I'll ever forget it for as long as I live. This happened when I was about eight years old, probably. The day started pretty normal, actually, and we even had a friend come over to play for a little while. After that friend went home, it was about 7pm. I got changed into my PJs and went to my bedroom to begin a little nightly routine I had of sitting on my beanbag and playing on my Game Boy Advance. As I played, I happened to notice something to my right. It was a piece of paper lying on the floor. Closing my GBA and moving over to where the paper was lying, I flipped it over and saw it was a drawing I had done of a couple of Pokemon. A drawing that I always kept pinned up on a small corkboard on my wall. I began to worry, as if it had fallen down, that meant the thumbtack must have fallen out as well, and seeing how I was barefoot and in sleepwear, I wanted to find it before I or someone else stepped on it, and got hurt. As I carefully scoured the floor for the thumbtack, I had little success, until I looked back up on the corkboard and saw a red tack stuck in it. It's important to understand that I had about 4 green tacks, a blue one and a red one. This drawing was of the two Pokemon, Larios and Larios, and seeing how I liked Larios, the red one, more, I always hung this drawing up with a single red tack. I feared the paper had been ripped and fell to the floor, but as I looked closer I saw that in fact there was still only a single small hole punched through the paper. This meant that the tack and drawing had been taken off the cork board, separated, and only the tack returned to the board. I had no recollection of doing this, but began to wonder if I had taken the drawing down to show our friend who came over. No, that couldn't be right, they wouldn't really have cared. So then how had this happened? Deciding to just assume this was my doing and I couldn't remember, I hung the drawing back up and continued my usual nightly routine. Later on, at about 8.30 to 9, I finally went to bed. I always struggle falling asleep, and this night was no different. Not too long into the night, I heard a soft banging from the opposite corner of the room. That was where my closet was. My closet had two sliding doors, one in front of the other and the wheels for sliding were on the top of the doors, but not the bottoms. This meant that he could pull the frontmost door back a few inches and let go, and it would swing back and bump into the inner door, resulting in a distinct banging sound. That was the noise I heard coming from my closet. However, because of how loose the outer door was, anything that could shake the house even a little bit, from stomping feet to slamming a door to large vehicles driving by, would cause this banging to happen so I was extremely used to it. I barely even noticed it. In hindsight, I should have been more alarmed, as everyone would have been in bed at the time. My cat wasn't in the room, and generally there was no reason the door should have been making that noise. But I did eventually fall asleep. For a while, at least. Because that's when it appeared. I woke up very suddenly, hearing this awful noise like a raspy hiss. As I looked toward the foot of my bed, I saw it. A dark figure, seemingly leaning forward slightly, over the foot of my bed. It was staring at me. Its mouth appeared to be wide open. It was extremely dark, so I could barely make out detailed features, but I could make out the general facial structure, and its hair appeared to be mid-length. Given where its head was, with respect to the end of my bed, it couldn't have been much taller than 5 feet, At first, I actually hardly even flinched at it, as I assumed it was a figment of my imagination. As I had after all just suddenly awakened, I just thought my drowsy eyes were playing tricks on me. But it did something then that confirmed to me it was real. The mouth appeared to close slightly, and its chest began to puff out a little. During this, the raspy hissing noise stopped. But then when the mouth opened wider again, the awful noise continued. It was the source of the noise, and it had stopped to take a breath. Surely my drowsy imagination wouldn't have imagined something so vivid, in such detail, and with accompanying sound, right? As it occurred to me, this figure truly was there, and I had been looking at it for only maybe three or four seconds. I remember gasping and crying out in shock, reaching under my pillow to grab a flashlight. In reality, it was more of a glorified laser pointer that had an LED light that I always kept near me. Otherwise, the only light in my room was a lamp by the door, which was too far away to reach from my bed. I shined the flashlight at the figure, and it simply vanished into thin air as the light was shined on it, like a magic eraser wiping it from my sight. The hissing faded, not instantly stopping but fading out, getting quieter, until finally going silent. Terrified. I panned the light across my bedroom, and I saw not much out of the ordinary. That is, until my light shined over my closet, where I noticed the outer door was slid open maybe half a foot. Slowly getting out of bed, I walked over to it, shut it, and ran, yes, ran, back into my bed. I dove under the covers and waited there like that until I eventually fell back to sleep. The next morning, I checked the foot of my bed. And I found the same drawing from the night before had once more mysteriously ended up on the floor, with the red tack still in the board. I hung it back up quickly, looked around the room to see if anything else had been altered, and it didn't seem so. Thankfully, this was my only encounter with that thing. While misplaced and moved objects continued, the false calling of my name, that entity never showed itself again. While it did make its presence known, It never revealed itself a second time. I say thank goodness for that. Even just once was one time too many. Warning. The following story contains depictions of violence against animals. Texas Werewolf Sighting. From Son of Sparta 202. I grew up in a place called Burleson, Texas. Your basic small city lots of people and businesses i've had a good bit of encounters with the supernatural and otherworldly kinds but this one is in the top three that definitely scared me for life shortly after my 11th birthday my family and i moved to a small town called joshua located about 20 minutes next to burleson my childhood friend had an older brother that was leasing a house and asked my father if we wanted first dibs on it He jumped at the opportunity to be back out in the country. So we packed up our things and made our way out to the house. Then we began to settle in. Four years passed by and I started going to high school. The days I wasn't in school or studying I was helping my dad on our property to fix it up and add new additions. We had about three acres of land and we were starting to buy animals like goats and cows to basically have a little farm. I came home one day and our neighbors were freaking out over something at the edge of the property. I walked over and asked what was going on, and I saw what they were staring at. It was one of our goats. It looked like it had become a snack for some animal. There were four distinctive gouges in its side, like it had been attacked first and then a very large bite wound in its neck. A giant hole replaced where its windpipe would have been, and its back right leg looked as if it had just been ripped off. I swallowed hard and walked past the group as I noticed my father walking over to greet me. Then he too noticed the group. He walked over to talk to the very skittish people. The look on his face changed as his gaze fell to the ground. Needless to say, that night he made sure that all the animals were locked in their pins and were secured. I knew he was taking this seriously as he got his 20 gauge from the gun safe in our spare room and he made sure it was loaded. That night was restless for me. I kept seeing images of the goat just hours ago, and my mind began to conjure up what could have done that. We had packs of coyotes that ran at the edge of the property, but that couldn't have been it. We had a high-voltage cattle fence all around the property that should have deterred any outside animal from getting in and to keep our animals from getting out. My thoughts were interrupted as the sound of a goat bleeding grabbed my attention. I sat up and just took a second to listen, and the sound came again. I sat there running through my options and decided against my better judgment. I went to go check it out. I grabbed my dad's 20 gauge on the way to the back door and saw that he wasn't home, so I assumed he had left for work already. It was just barely 2 in the morning. I peeked out the window to get a glimpse of what was going on. As I looked outside, I didn't see any stray goats walking about if in fact we had left the door open to their pen. But I could still hear its distressed cry. I opened up the door and began to make my way outside. As I walked down the stairs and made my way over to the pen, I could clearly see the lock on the pen door was locked tight. The same for the other pens. When I made my way to the back of the pens was when I felt the panic grip my chest. The whole back of the two-inch oak wooded pen had been shredded, and a door-sized hole was broken into the back of the wall. I was petrified. I-, I couldn't move a muscle. The saying, scared straight, isn't just a saying. I was stiff as a board. The only thing I could think of is I needed to get back inside and call my dad. The sound of the goats screaming broke my petrification. Only then did I notice that there were no goats inside the pen anymore. I clutched the shotgun like it was a shield and brought the barrel up, Steadily, I started to walk towards the noise. As I closed in on the back of our property line, I started seeing limbs and bloody chunks everywhere. The sight made me gag. The smell choked me. It smelled of spoiled meat and metal. I stopped about 30 feet from the gate closing off the fence. I couldn't make out anything but a gurgling and grunting sound between what sounded like chewing and an occasional loud snap and crunch. I cocked the gun that's when I heard the low deep rumbling of a growl. But it didn't sound like a normal animal. This was like a terrible mix of a lion and a wolf, something that was extremely upset that I had interrupted them. I heard shuffling, and then I was met with a pair of large orangish yellow eyes. There was a loud thud, like something being dropped to the ground. Then those eyes began to rise up until they were eight feet off the ground. I was frozen again. All I could hear was this beast make its way towards me, with loud footfalls, then blood rushing in my ears. I began to see a slight silhouette of what was about to greet me. A very tall body, a large head with two long pointed ears on either side, thin lanky arms that almost dragged on the ground as it walked and that awful growling sound that was coming from it. In that moment, as I began to see the fence gate open, the adrenaline hit me and broke me free. I pulled the trigger, and I heard yelping as my slugs hit their mark true. Whatever was there had fled quickly, and in moments was gone. I stood there breathing hard as the adrenaline began to wear off, and I started to tear up. I ran back to my house, waiting for the sun to come up, And my dad to get home. We both went out together where I told him I found the bodies. After that, he got some friends together for a small hunt to go after the coyotes. But I knew what it was that did this. I don't think it was coyotes. I believe what I encountered that night was a werewolf. With that, we're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry. I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family, follow us on Spotify, and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone, remember... This world is a strange one, so stay safe out there and stay creepy.